All right, lots of excitement to get downstairs. Great to see you all today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Also, I say a big thank you for people just continuing to wear masks. I know that um, there's a variety of thoughts on how necessary that is, and, and I just really appreciate those of you that are doing it strictly out of love for others, for your sacrifice in doing that. I know nobody really wants to be wearing masks, and we would prefer not to have to, but uh, I also know that there are people that wouldn't be here if they didn't feel, um, if they didn't feel confident that others were gonna be wearing masks. So just thank you all for that. It really is, it really is appreciated. A couple of years ago, I was, I got a call from a friend late one night. His car had broken down on I-95 right at exit 56. So I went down and I picked him up. The next week when I saw him, I asked if his car was running again. Was he able to get it fixed? He said, yeah, yeah, it's running again, no problem. I said, oh, that's, that's great. What was the matter with your car? And he looked a little bit sheepish and a little bit embarrassing. He said, well, actually, it turns out that the car had run out of gas. The problem wasn't the car. The problem was the car lacked the power supply needed to operate as designed. For many Christians, their faith is like my friend's broken down car doesn't seem to be working right. Some conclude Christianity itself is the problem. Often the problem is not utilizing the necessary power source. Faith has been disconnected from the resource that allows it to operate as intended. In many ways, today's sermon is a part two for last week's sermon. We are going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit should function in the life of the believer. Christianity without the Holy Spirit just doesn't work. Despite this, the operation of the Holy Spirit is often poorly understood either ignored or abused. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will begin reading in the second part of verse 10. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 10b through verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Holy Spirit knows the depths of God. We shouldn't skim over the absolutely radical claim made in these verses. Throughout the Old Testament, there's been a hard ceiling on what can be known of God. God is a mystery. In the interactions people had with him, they only got to see a small amount of who God is. When Moses asked God his name, he said it was I am. That name leads to as many questions as it does answer. What was known about God was often known through his actions. But his actions or lack thereof don't always make sense to us, the creature's he created. In multiple books of the Old Testament, you have prophets and other men of God asking why God acts the way he does. Jonah, Job, Habakkuk are all asking God why he does things the way he does. Others wonder the same. At times, God talks about himself. He lets us know who he is. This is certainly helpful. However, the different attributes described that God uses to describe himself as having were hard to assemble into a, a cohesive whole. Any sort of clear mental picture of God seems to require a denial of part of what God himself claimed to be. When considering God, it seemed best to resign oneself to the truth that limits on human understanding exists. God's mind appeared closed off to understanding from any other entity. Nobody had the capacity to know God fully. This second part of verse 10 is saying that is not the case. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. There is a being that is God, but not God himself. This being God's Spirit knows God. If this seems bizarre to you, then you are not alone. It took hundreds of years for Christians in the early church to formulate an even basic grasp of what these verses and others like them from the Bible were implying that could be agreed upon. What came to be known as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was agreed upon At the Council of Nicaea in 325, which was about 250 years after the passage we read today had been written. 
Although the creed that came out of that council, the Nicene Creed, was focused primarily on God and Jesus. The Holy Spirit is hardly mentioned in a sentence fragment that feels tacked on to the end. The truth is the relationship of God's Spirit to God the Father and Jesus his Son is not an easy thing for any person to wrap their mind around. Paul tries to help us through using our own experience. He writes, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? I'm going to do my best to try to explain this without making myself sound insane. So here goes. I talk to myself quite frequently. When you talk to me, there's probably a dialogue going in in my head between different parts of myself. There's a mental process that I associate with my brain that expresses a thought. Another part of my consciousness, which I associate with my spirit, will respond with some sort of counterpoint. Dialogue between my heart and brain is an ongoing occurrence. It's not unusual for there to be disagreements. Sometimes my spirit and my intellect get angry with one another. Last week, my spirit got really mad in my brain and told it it was stupid. And I'm pretty sure my brain's feelings were hurt. I don't know what that means. According to Paul, the way God and the Holy Spirit relate is similar to the way my spirit and thoughts interact. This doesn't mean God operates just like I do. The comparison being made is not absolute. God and his spirit don't disagree. Whereas my consciousness is often chaotic, God and the spirit are only unified. We can easily talk ourselves in circles trying to make intellectual sense of the relationship between God and the Holy Spirit. Fortunately, we don't have to do that. God is not a list of facts that we can simply memorize. Knowledge of God comes through relationship with him. The Spirit helps us to know God. The Spirit's knowledge is experiential as well as intellectual. Last week, I talked to someone who was responsible for hiring engineers straight out of college, and he said that when he's looking to hire an engineer, he always asks them what sort of real-world experience do they have. Have they ever applied all the stuff that they have learned in school through working on their own car or putting together a computer at home? An academic knowledge of a subject is a wonderful beginning. But true knowledge requires real-world interactions. 
the Holy Spirit <coughs> excuse me, comprehends the thoughts of God and passes them on to us through first-hand experience. The Spirit has been sent to us that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Spirit of God is our teacher. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit is sent by God at Christ's request so that we might know the truth. The Spirit teaches us from within. A few verses later, in verse 25 of the same chapter, Jesus reiterates a similar point, saying, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things. He reminds us of the truth Jesus relayed. A warning is necessary here. The Holy Spirit is tremendously abused. You will hear Christians, or at least people that claim to be Christians, claim that the Holy Spirit has told them to do something or to believe something. This certainly happens. The Holy Spirit does guide us into truth. He informs us how we should respond in different situations. The problem is that it also happens that people claim the Holy Spirit is at work when it is actually just their own desires. The classic example of this is a single guy informing a single young woman that the Holy Spirit has informed him that they should be dating. This puts the woman on the spot. Not only does she have the pressure of saying no to this guy, now she's also saying no to God. The fact that the young woman is beautiful, of course, has nothing to do with this young man's sense of calling. This actually happened with some people I knew when I was in college. There was a young guy, and he felt that the Holy Spirit was calling him to be in a relationship with this young woman. He even felt like they were going to be married. This was true in spite of the fact that she was dating somebody else at the time. He continued to feel that way even when she got engaged. Finally, when this woman got married to somebody else, he had to recognize that his sense of calling was not from the Holy Spirit. It was from his own desires. When people claim the Holy Spirit has spoken to them erroneously, there is a term for this. It is called false prophecy, and we should take it very seriously. 
It is not unusual to hear broad theological claims made that the speaker claims came from the Holy Spirit. It's difficult to disprove these sorts of claims. The person making them just says, God told me such and such. The false claims many have made of what the Holy Spirit is telling them personally have led some to reject the Holy Spirit almost completely. Normally, those who do so will end up either heavily implying or stating outright that the Holy Spirit is simply the Bible, God's Word. Now, that's not to demean the Bible at all, but saying the Holy Spirit is simply what is written down on these pages limits the operation of the Holy Spirit. It denies that the Spirit is a living being. It makes the arrogant assumption that a person has any capacity to understand God's Word apart from the Holy Spirit. Instead of limiting God, instead of limiting the Holy Spirit, we have to learn when the Holy Spirit is teaching us versus when it is our own wayward hearts that are calling out. This is what the Bible tells us to do. 1 John 4, 1 states, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Testing begins with an awareness that testing is necessary. The Holy Spirit is at work as are the sinful spirits of this world. It is important to discern the difference. We should ask ourselves, who benefits if what we are testing is true? A thought that gives you the green light to do what you already want to do anyway should be considered highly suspicious. The Holy Spirit may not be what is leading you to purchase that dress or that tool that you've really been wanting to buy for several months. The most basic test we should run is to compare the subjective claim that is being made with the objective truth of the Bible. The Holy Spirit will not refute Scripture. God's Spirit confesses Christ. Convictions that do not go against Scripture should be brought to God in prayer through the Holy Spirit. God promises to reveal Himself to those who earnestly seek Him. We should know that we are not alone in discerning whether the Holy Spirit is at work. The Spirit works through His church, His people. If you are questioning whether or not what you are hearing from the Holy Spirit is from God, you should bring it before other believers. Those that listen best to the Spirit will be those that have made a practice of listening. 
It is true with any relationship that the more time you invest, the better you will be able to understand the person. My wife, Anne, and I know what each other are trying to say because of how much time we have spent together. I think if coronavirus goes on for too much longer, we're going to get to the point where we can just have whole conversations through sighing. And that'll be it. We'll know. We'll know about each other's day. Hearing the Holy Spirit clearly is tied to how intentional we have been in investing time relationally. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd because of the time they spend together. Those that prioritize the Holy Spirit through spending time with him will know his voice more. Through the Holy Spirit, Christians have the mind of Christ. At least that's what Paul says. Paul often speaks of things that have not yet been accomplished as if they already have. That is certainly the case here. Do I believe I am a Christian? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. Does this mean I have the mind of Christ? That's what, that's what Paul says pretty clearly. Do I feel like I have the mind of Christ? Sometimes I do. Frequently, I don't. So where is the disconnect? Variable X, which is the cross of Christ, added to variable Y, which is the believer, is supposed to equal the mind of Christ. But most Christians don't feel they are experiencing the result Scripture describes. If I'm a Christian, and Christians have the mind of Christ, but I don't have the mind of Christ, it seems like something is amiss. Paul is trying to help the Corinthians and all Christians see what the Holy Spirit has made them into. He is pointing at the result and arguing back from there. The mind of Christ is available to all Christians. Through Christ, by the washing of the Holy Spirit, we have been made spiritual. No person can change their own mind. We lack the capacity. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, he makes this clear. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Through the Spirit, we are reborn to a new life. This is a spiritual life. In verse 15 of today's text, Paul is describing what it means to be spiritual. It is to have the mind of Christ. The problem is we are so used to looking at things naturally. We don't use the spiritual vision the Holy Spirit has supplied. 
We revert to our natural default way of interacting with the world. Within the past year or so, my father-in-law got hearing aids. Now, for the most part, this has made zero difference in his life. Why? Well, he doesn't wear the hearing aids, right? If you don't wear them, if you don't use them, they are not particularly helpful. He lacks the capacity to hear well on his own, okay? His hearing aids increase that capacity. Sounds good. But they don't increase it because he opts not to take advantage of the capacity he has been given. Christians have the option of using the spiritual vision given by the Holy Spirit. We just opt not to. Looking at the world naturally is more comfortable or convenient, I guess. More than anything, it's just our default. Natural vision requires no extra effort from us. Seeing through the Holy Spirit is a commitment we must make. Choosing to see things naturally means we will stumble through this life not knowing where we should go or being able to navigate in, even when we have some sense of our final destination. Taking advantage of the mind of Christ we have been given by the Holy Spirit means we will be able to judge all things. For Christians, the only barrier to us having the mind of Christ is ourselves. God sent his spirit to us just as Jesus requested. When a car stops running, the first thing you should check is whether or not it has gas. It is the simplest and most obvious problem. When your faith isn't working, there's a good chance that you are disconnected from the Holy Spirit. You are trying to do it on your own. The Christian life cannot be powered by human effort. It can only be powered by the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God through which he created and sustains the world. Trying to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive a car while pushing it. You may feel like you're making a little progress when things are easy, but as soon as there is a challenge, all forward momentum stops. We should use the spiritual vision we've been given to have the mind of Christ that allows us to live in the power of God through his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you have made it possible for us to have the mind of Christ. You made it possible by sending Jesus into this world. You made it possible by his death and resurrection, Lord. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds, that we would be able to judge rightly, 
that we'd be able to live well based on what is true and not on our own preferences, Lord. I ask that you would be with us as we move through this world, that we would rely on your spirit, rely on your strength and your wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.